we're going to teach y'all a memory verse this morning. And I know, now, do you see this? She's got, if you are OGAG, you know what this is right here. This is the missionette's uh, vest and, and uh, sash of badges that belonged to Mama when she was a little girl. And Ainsley is just proud as punch about this little vest for missionettes. And it's got all the things that Miss Katie, Pastor Katie, uh, achieved when she was in missionettes. And, you know, some days, we, I miss the old days, you know, when we did stuff like that. But so every night... I have put Ainsley to bed, and I tuck her in, and we do, um, and she, if I forget it, she'll always remind me. She'll say, scripture and prayer, scripture and prayer, and we do a memory verse every night, and then we pray before bed, and so I took a leaf out of Pastor Katie's book several months ago, and we started doing motions to go along with the memory verse because it helps you learn it. And so me and, and Sister Ainsley this morning are going to teach y'all a memory verse. We're going to teach you the motions. Are y'all ready? So I want you to stand up with us, okay? And we're going to learn a memory verse. Go ahead and put that scripture on the screen. And then Ainsley, can you help me do it? You ready? All right. How's it go? Oh, we got to do this. We got to do the number first, right? Okay. First, first Timothy six. Got to get her fingers right. Six. Six, six. Okay, you ready? True godliness. With. With. Contentment. Contentment. Is. Great. Wealth. Great wealth. Good job. Okay, now we're all going to do it. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. We're all doing it. We're all do we're having children's church this morning. You ready? Okay, so 1 Timothy 6, 6. Okay, true godliness with, making a plus sign, okay, with contentment. This is an equal sign. Is great wealth. Everybody do it. There you go. Awesome. Okay. Take that off the screen. We're, don't sit down. We're not done. We're not done. Sit, stand up. Stand up. Okay. Ready? All right. First Timothy. Do it. Six. Do it, Ainsley. Six. Okay. True godliness plus sign with contentment is great. Everybody do it. Wealth. Awesome. Awesome. Good job, Ainsley. Good job. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Lord, would you give uh, your Holy Spirit, would you send your Holy Spirit to come alongside the words on the page and illuminate and inspire and reveal your word to us this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. So I love that. And I, I, want, I, I did that for a couple of reasons, just because it's fun. But also, you know, Ainsley's four years old and she knows the word. She knows John 3, 16, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And she knows Romans 10, 9, and 10. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And she knows Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And she knows John 1, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was, was God. She knows Romans 8, 28, that we believe that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. She knows 
2 Timothy 1, 7 that says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. She knows he's at four years old. So uh, have we memorized any scripture lately? And I want to also instill, parents, your kids can learn it. You can instill and plant seeds of the word inside of them. And it's not too early to start and it's not too late to start. And you can do the silly little motions and you can learn the things and you can do it as a family. And it's corny sometimes. Yeah, I get it. But listen, it works and she knows the word. Amen. So. This scripture, though, this is one that I memorized several years ago. And, and what I figured out is, you remember when um, you were in grade school? I don't know, like second, third grade in math class. And they started teaching you about word problems. You remember word problems? I hated word problems. But do you remember that your teacher taught you to read the word problem and look for those key words that told you what you were supposed to do? So if the word problem was Johnny had five apples and three oranges, how many pieces of fruit does Johnny have? You would say, you would say, okay, that and is the key word in that. And that and is what? It's a plus sign. And so you would take, okay, five apples and plus three oranges equals, right? And so, uh, and if you saw the word, uh, Uh, took or take, that would be a a minus. So if Johnny had five apples, but Sally took two of them, how many does he have left? And, And you would look for that keyword and you would know that took was a minus sign. And then you would even know that is, is an equal sign. If you saw the word is in the, in the word problem, then that's an equal sign. And so when I look at this scripture, I see a math problem. I see him saying, this thing called true godliness with that key word, that's the plus sign that we made, with this thing called contentment is itself great wealth. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, there's a formula here that, God, that the Holy Spirit gave to Paul to write down for his son, spiritual son Timothy to understand and apply in his life. He's saying, listen, if you want the results behind the equal sign, then you've got to get the math problem right before the equal sign. You've got to get that calculation right. You've got to get that formula right in order to get the results that you want in your life. So today, I just want to break down the math problem for us. And I'm horrible at math. This is about as much math as I'm capable of doing. If you put a gun to my head, I could not do long division. I wouldn't even know where to start, to be honest with you. Thank God for smartphones with calculators on them. But, but that... This little math problem that that God has given us in his word, I want to break it down for a second. So we're just going to take it in parts because remember in math class, they said take it one step at a time, right? We're going to take it one step at a time. So true godliness. What is what is true godliness? In, in verses 1 through 5 of, of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul talks about people who he says they have and an external version of godliness. They on the outside are doing certain things right that make them look godly, but he says, that's not true godliness. That's not true godliness. That's just a show. 
That's just a mask to wear. They look godly on the outside, but there's been no real transformation in their hearts. That's why true godliness in our emotions is a little heart, because we're talking about not just a show and not just a mask and not just I showed up at church and not just I posted a Bible verse on Facebook. So that makes me godly. No, we're talking about a true transformation of your heart. And, and when I was praying about this, I said, okay, God, how do you want me to define true godliness? And I was like, well, do I give a definition? Do I, do I break down the Greek here? What is it? And I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of showed this to me. He said, no, for five and a half chapters, Paul has been teaching us what true godliness is. We've been in this series now for, this is week eight. So for seven weeks, we've been looking at, no, he's been defining the entire letter. What does true godliness look like? So I just want to, because some of y'all don't show up every week, I just want to go over real quickly everything that we've covered the past eight weeks. I love you, okay? I love you. But week chapter, week one, we talked about in chapter one that Paul tells us we need to eliminate distractions, that, that anything that adds to or takes away from Jesus means it stops being the gospel, that we don't add any other gods, we don't add any extra false teachings, we just stick with Jesus. Week two was about godliness doesn't come from following a list of do's and don'ts. He says the law was good, but it can't make you godly. And so it's not just about a list of do's and don'ts, but godliness comes through a true relationship with God through his son, Jesus. And then week three, it says that a godly life is a, a Christian life is a life that is prayerful and quiet and peaceful and tries to make peace with everybody around us. And, and that it's a life that is totally surrendered to God's will for our lives. And the way we find his will for our lives is we surrender ourselves to God's word that he has given us. And then week four, that was the week that Pastor Katie came up here and she preached with me. And we dealt with that difficult passage that talks about how women ought to behave in the church, but we found out that it's not really just talking about women, it's talking about men, and that we're supposed to have kingdom culture, and we're supposed to defy the gender stereotypes of the culture around us, and that says that, that men are angry warriors that are always looking for a fight, but instead, in God's kingdom, men are prayer warriors, come on. And, and that men, women, the gender stereotype at the time was that when, women were, were not capable of learning, that they were mindless gossips and they were little busybodies and they were treated like property. But Paul says, no, let the woman learn. And then in other places in scripture, he elevates women to places of leadership in the church and even as teachers and as deacons. And, and, and even he calls one lady an apostle in the church. So kingdom culture and godliness looks like men who pray and women who were discipled and who grow deeper in their walk with God. I'm preaching better than y'all are acting this morning. Come on. Week number five was Christian leaders and those who aspire to leadership that we're supposed to live up to a higher standard, that we're supposed to lead by example in everything that we do. We're supposed to live above reproach and above accusation. We're not supposed to be addicted to substances and we're not supposed to be gossips and we're supposed to be a one woman man and a one man woman and we're not supposed to be fornicators and we're not supposed to be going and doing all the things that the world does because if we want to lead people to Jesus, we have to lead by example. And then week six, it was that godliness doesn't tolerate senseless arguments and bickering, but instead we train ourselves up in the word of God so that we know the word of God so that we can go and reach and teach others with the good news of Jesus. And then last week we talked about a godly life is a life that lives to honor God 
And the way we honor God is by honoring God's people and God's creation and other people. And we honor God by living honorable lives. This is what godliness looks like. So if you're looking for like a one, two, three, it's, that's not it. If you're looking for do's and don'ts, it's not really that because none of this is possible outside of a relationship with Jesus. See, if I put all of these things up on one slide and showed them to you and all the things that you're that is godly and isn't godly, you'd say, man, I could never do that. You're right. You can. But the Holy Ghost inside you can. And that's what a godly life looks like that's totally surrendered to and yielded to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus living on the inside of us and leading us and guiding us. And he says, there's a difference between this kind of true godliness that starts with a relationship with God through Jesus, filled and empowered by his Holy Spirit, and those that have an outward show of godliness. He says, in those people, verse 5, to them a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Some people, nobody here, but some people, they treat church like the local country club. And you go to the country club to make the networking and make the connections that you need to do well in business and to have the right promotion and have the right job and have the right social. We're not that church, y'all. We're, <laughs> we're not that, that one. If you're looking for country club connections, this ain't the right one. <laughs> but some people... They treat it that way. Oh, if I want the respect in the community, if I want to win that election, if I want that promotion, if I want that job, then I need to get in good with the right people. And I'll do that by looking good on the outside. And Paul says, that's not true godliness. That's a show. That's a show. Don't come up in here giving a show. Don't, you know, people come in here. I got everything to get. I don't need to come to the altar. Ain't nobody sick in my life. Nothing's going wrong in my life. All my bills are paid. Everything's good. My marriage is perfect. I don't need to pray. I don't need God. I'm just here to show up and make sure everybody sees that I showed up this morning. And the people that drive by on the highway, they'll see my car out there and say, oh, he must be a good person. He goes to church. That's a show. True godliness isn't what happens on the outside. It's the transformation that takes place in your heart. People that want influence, they want to save face, they want to impress you, they want to show off how righteous they are, but their heart is in the wrong place. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, are we just trying to look godly or are we truly focused on being godly? Are we just trying to play the part and wear the Christian costume Or are we desperate for an encounter with God that leads us to a totally transformed life? And remember, that true godliness, you can't get there by doing a list of do's and don'ts. The only way you get there is a heart that is totally surrendered and transformed by Jesus. So many people... They're trying to climb the holiness ladder. Maybe you didn't grow up in a background that really emphasized 
holiness and didn't emphasize this kind of stuff but but there's a whole movement there's a whole a whole branch of the church that it was about you've got to do certain things and you've got to dress a certain way and don't do other certain things and and if you'll do it right you can climb that holiness ladder and get to where you need to be and the it was out of a good heart they were saying there are some things that are sin and we need to cut some things out of our life they started off great but instead of it becoming a surrender it became a competition and it became about climbing but really God's saying you know what holiness isn't about climbing a ladder holiness is about going down on your knees before God and being an all being a sacrifice on the altar before the Lord so it's not about the do's and don'ts of the ladder it's about the surrender that takes place at the altar the scriptures are trying to teach us you can't climb high enough or fast enough to get there we don't get there by climbing a ladder we get there by getting on our face before God so the math problem is true godliness. True godliness is so important to this equation and not just a show of godliness, but real life surrender to Jesus plus contentment plus contentment. Now, here's here's where we're getting to the whole point of first Timothy chapter six. If you read the whole chapter, you would see that the whole chapter is about learning how to be content with what you have. He's dealing with here the human tendency that we all have toward greed. Greed. And, and greed is not something that, that just greedy people, all of us, everybody in the room, if we were honest, we have this continual need for more. You don't believe me? Let your neighbor get a new car. As soon as you're, you see that shiny new car in your neighbor's driveway, your car doesn't look as good anymore. You were perfectly happy with your car until they got a new one. And you see their shiny new, and you're like, man, mine's kind of junky. I need to get this traded in. See, everybody does it. Don't, don't act like, y'all don't act like that now. Everybody does that. True it's a human struggle. It's, it's from us being born into a sinful world. We have original sin inside of us, and there's something about us that we just, we need more. And, and, and it's something that, that can, if you allow it to, it can take over your life. Getting more, getting ahead, keeping up with the Joneses. Not just keeping up with the Joneses, but having more than the Joneses. Or at least letting people think you have more than the Joneses and not letting them see your credit card bill. And so Paul is saying, no, what we need is not more stuff. We need contentment. Contentment. Now, here's the definition of contentment. Contentment is internal satisfaction that does not demand changes in external circumstances. Think about that for a minute. Contentment is I can find satisfaction in where I am right now and I'm not going to demand my circumstances to change before I find satisfaction see human greed and I'm not like I said I'm not talking about just I'm talking about all of us we all apart from the work of the sanctifying spirit in our lives we deal with that and and it, it gets a hold of us and because greed that struggle against tells us that your life won't be satisfied your heart won't be satisfied your mind won't be satisfied until you've got just a, a little bit more you can't be satisfied until you just get that little bit more 
A little bit more money in the bank and you can rest easy. A little bit more land and then you can be secure in your future. A little bit more in the stock market and you'll be satisfied. And it, it's not, greed isn't, I want to take everything from everybody. Greed is just this, I just, I just need a little bit more. Nelson Rockefeller was one of the richest men that had lived up to his time period in his life. And a reporter once asked him, he said, how much does a man need to live comfortably? He's the richest man on the planet. He said, how much does a man need to, leave, need to live comfortably? And he said, mm, a little bit more than I've got. Think about it. And so even the richest man on the planet at the time, there was this, I, I just need a, a little bit more. But the problem is, is that more is elusive. That more never really comes because as soon as you get more, you find out there's more on the other side of more. And there's this, there's this constant uh, game of cat and mouse that more plays with you and he thinks you got it and you think I finally got more and then you realize, no, there's more to be had. And so I've got to get more and no, there's more after that and I've got to get more. And it, if you let it do that to you, it will control you and it will even lead you to do things you would never otherwise do, lead you to compromise your morals and your convictions, lead you to start cheating in a business deal or cheating on your taxes or taking advantage of your employees all in the name of just getting a little bit more and then I'll be done. Paul says in this chapter, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, but people who long to be rich, people who are always looking for a little bit more, they fall into temptation and they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, this is where that scripture is, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice, it doesn't say money is evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Where in the, in, in the name of getting a little bit more, I, I've, I've stopped giving time to the Lord. In the name of getting a little bit more, I've surrendered influence with my family. In the name of getting just a little bit more, I've neglected my marriage. In the name of just getting a little bit more, my kids don't ever see me. In the name of getting just a little bit more, I started to kind of cheat my employees on their paycheck. In the name of just a little bit more, oh, I started to kind of hide some money away so that the IRS wouldn't see it. And all in the name of getting, and you're going to end up in jail, or you're going to hurt some relationships, or you're going to destroy some families, or you're going to wound someone else. In order for you to get more, you've got to take it from somebody else. And it's this elusive thing that will lead you down a dark path. And the scriptures teach us that the only way to defeat this game of greed, this more, that is to allow the Holy Spirit to develop and teach you contentment. This is how to find internal satisfaction, no matter your external circumstances. Can you hope for a better job? Sure, I want you to have a better job. Can, can, you, can you work for a comfortable lifestyle? Of course. That's, last week I preached about how you're supposed to make enough to take care of your family. You're supposed, there's nothing wrong with that. But contentment says, it's not saying don't ever have any goals, don't have any ambitions. It's saying don't ever rely on stuff to satisfy you. 
Don't ever rely on that job or that money or that bank account or that farm or that, that stock market to bring you satisfaction because it never will. Because there'll always be a little bit more that you don't allow those or rely on stuff to bring you the satisfaction that can only come from a relationship with God. Because here's the thing, more stuff can't heal you. Richest people in the world still have incurable diseases. More stuff can't satisfy you. More, more stuff can't fulfill you. We'll never find our meaning, our purpose, our identity, or our destiny in stuff. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not saying you can't have a good job. And he's not saying you shouldn't pay your bills. You should. But he's saying, don't love that stuff. Love God. Because money will leave you. Just ask anybody who's played in the stock market very long. Money can leave just as quickly as it came. It can forsake you. And it does not care about you when it leaves. God has promised, I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. Notice something. The Bible doesn't say in 1 Timothy nor in Hebrews that money is evil, but serving money leads to evil. Being a servant, being a slave to money, worshiping material possessions, basing your life on your financial needs, making money your God, that's what leads to all kinds of evil. And the solution is allow God to help you be content with what you have, knowing that he will take care of you. Jesus put it this way, Matthew chapter 6, don't store up treasures here on earth, but instead, or where moths eat and where rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is saying you have two choices in life. You can either spend your life obsessing over getting more now, or you can spend your life obsessed with laying up security in heaven and laying up treasures in your spiritual walk with Christ now, and those benefits will last for eternity. Because whatever you get now, it's going to rust. It's going to decay. It's going to destroy. You can buy a nice car in five to seven years. It's going to be rusted. It's going to be busted. You can have a nice house. One day it's going to fall apart. You can have a nice job. One day that company's going to go under. You can have that all of that stuff. It's going to rust. It's going to decay. Maybe not in your lifetime, but it's some. And you can't take it with you. So he's saying, listen, you can either obsess over stuff that won't last or you can obsess over stuff that's going to last for eternity. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, teach those who are rich in the world, in this world, not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. See, he wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to do, do well in life. But he's just saying, don't put your trust in the stuff. Put your trust in the one who owns all the stuff. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future that they may experience true life. He says, 
Teach those who are rich in this world not to trust their money. Can we be real for just a minute? I know that in this room, maybe watching online, there is a, a vast variety of financial situations reflected in the different families in this room. Some of us are homeowners and some of us are renters. Um, some of us have advanced degrees and you're, you're working a white collar job that pays comfortably and some of us in the room, we might work a blue collar job, we might make an hourly, maybe even minimum wage paycheck. Some in the room, you know, you've never had to wonder where your next meal is going to come from. But there's others in the room that you know what it's like to wonder how I'm going to buy groceries to feed the kids this week. But can I be honest with you for just a minute? No one in here looks like we're about to die of starvation tomorrow. And the reality is that there's a good portion of the world's population of children who will wake up tomorrow and they didn't have a meal yesterday, they didn't have one today, and they're not sure they're gonna have one tomorrow either. You, you know, I, I'm looking around the room and I think everybody's got a pair of shoes on. They might be a little tight, might have some holes or some scuffs. And, and just check in, did everybody get here in a car today? Anybody walk to church this morning? Anybody? But just a few hours ago, across the Atlantic Ocean, African mamas and daddies and children, they woke up on Sunday morning and they got up several hours early so that they could walk barefoot several miles to get to church and worship God. Here's what I'm saying. No matter where you are in the American rat race and getting more and getting more and, getting and keeping up, whether you've got a real healthy 401k or you have to work a couple of extra jobs or whether you've got a six or seven figure balance in your bank account or whether you're living paycheck to paycheck, when we compare ourselves to the majority of the world, we're rich, we're blessed, we're wealthy. And Paul says to those of us that are wealthy and those of us that are blessed and rich with the riches and the clothes on our back and shoes on our feet and a roof over our head and food in our covers, he says, don't get proud of that. Don't think you earned it. Don't think you, you deserve it more than anybody else does. But, but use what he has given us. Enjoy it. And enjoy it by doing good works with it. By making sure that the one who is hungry has food. And the one who doesn't have shoes has shoes to wear. And the kids who can't afford school supplies that we gave. And make sure that they can get school supplies. Don't get proud. But use what God has blessed you with to store up your treasure in other ways. Get rich in doing good works, he says. Get rich in blessing somebody else. And that's what the Bible calls contentment. And here's the equal sign in the equation. Godliness, true godliness, plus contentment is itself great wealth. When we add contentment to a desire to live a godly life when we choose to honor God in our material possessions to not get proud in what we have but be generous with what we have when we add contentment to a godly lifestyle that the Bible says in itself is great wealth Just check out verse 19 again 
It says, when you do this, when you do this math problem correctly, what happens is you will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that you can experience true, and I want to say their eternal life. In other words, like Jesus said, you'll be storing up treasures in heavenly places. Ungodliness and greed, they might produce worldly riches, but those riches won't last. But godliness plus contentment, they will produce eternal wealth that will far outlive this natural body. Let me ask you, what will it matter hundreds of years from now what my bank balance was if my children aren't spending eternity with me? What will it matter if at the end of this life when I stand before my creator and all I have to offer him is a stock portfolio, but I've got nothing to show him for life as far as what I've done and live for God? What will it matter if I work that 70, 80 hour a week always in chasing down and chasing after that elusive promotion, that elusive raise? But when they lay my body in the ground, my kids won't say, man, I wish God it. I wish dad had worked more. My kids are going to say, man, I wish I had more time with dad. No one lies on their deathbed and says, man, I wish I invested less in my marriage and more in my job. What will it matter Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Do you realize that right now in this moment as I speak to you, there are people that have departed this life. Their body gave up. They've stopped breathing. They're dead. But their soul lives on. But they are spending an eternity totally separated from God and tormented in a place called hell. And if you could talk to those people that are right now in, in a place so dark and so, so evil and so, so desperate and they're so wishing that they could have changed their mind and changed how they live their life. And if you could talk to them and you could ask them, what can I do? What do you wish you had done differently? How can I learn from your mistakes? None of them would tell you, get more stuff and run the rat race. Every single one of them would tell you, don't run the rat race, run to Jesus. Don't try to get more stuff. Get on your knees before God. Invest in Jesus. Invest your time in Jesus. Invest in your time in leading your family to Jesus. Invest your time in pointing other people to Jesus. Yes, work hard and have a good job and have a good career, but don't put your trust in that. It won't last and it won't make it to heaven with you. Trust God because like Hebrews said, he's the only one who has ever promised he'll never leave you or forsake you. I want you to hear me. Last week, chapter five, Paul said, you know what? If you're not working to take care of your kids and your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. I'm not saying be lazy. I'm not saying, you know what we should all do? We should all quit our jobs and go out to a field somewhere and sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya and wait for Jesus to come back. That's not what I'm saying. You and I, we were created by God to be productive and to do what what we need to do to make sure our family's provided for. All of that is great and it's godly, but the balance to that is you can't make that your all. You can't live just to have a job and you can't live just to have a paycheck. Live for Jesus and that's where contentment comes and that's where true godliness comes from. Trust God, live for God. Understand that God is your source and that farm is not your source and that job is not your source and that bank is not your source and that stock portfolio 
portfolio is not your source. He is your source. And if you have given your life to Jesus, even if you've got a bunch of stuff, if you've really given your life to him, none of it belongs to you anyway. You've totally surrendered it over to him. And when you hand it to him, you say, Jesus, I'm thankful for it, but it's not really mine. I'm going to hold it with loose hands. I'm going to give it to you because you are my God and this stuff is not my God. When you act like that, when you do like that, you're like the little boy who brought Jesus his lunch. And you're saying, man, I'm so thankful mom packed me a lunch today when I decided to go out. But God, I trust you more than I trust what's in my Brown's paper sack. And I'm going to give you my five loaves and two fish. And I'm going to trust you with it because I'm not putting my trust in my measly little portion. I'm putting my trust in the one who can take the five loaves and the two fish and he can break it up and he can feed 5,000 men plus the women and children. And then the scripture says when they got done eating, there was 12 baskets full of food left over. See, God, if you will get to the place where you say, I'm not trusting in my job and I'm not trusting in my paycheck and I'm not trusting in my possessions but instead I'm surrendering it all to Jesus and putting it in his hand he can do more with it than what you ever could do with it and he can do more with it not just to take care of you with 12 extra baskets he can take care of everybody around you with what you give to him see he's saying don't put your trust in the stuff the stuff won't last but I can multiply the stuff and I can provide for you and I can take care of you here's my point in my hands my stuff is never enough but in his hands, it's more than enough. I could get more than I ever thought I could ever experience or comprehend or understand. That's why when I'm, when I'm connected to him in relationship and I'm living in contentment, satisfied with what he's given me and trusting him for my future, that equals 12 baskets full left over. That equals great wealth. Somehow, when there's godliness plus contentment, there always seems to be more than enough. He multiplies, he provides, he's promised he won't forsake me. And not just my material and physical needs, but when I'm connected to him, when you're connected to him in true godliness, when you're living and satisfied in him with true contentment, we're not just physically wealthy. We're, we're spiritually wealthy. We're mentally wealthy. We're emotionally wealthy. We're fulfilled. We're blessed inside and out. Relationships are healthier. And ultimately, if that's us, if that's where you're at in your life, you know you've got eternity in your sights. And in eternity, even though things might be tough here, when I get over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. What's he saying? He's saying, you can't even imagine. The best case scenario that you could cook up in your little brain is not near as good as what God has waiting for me and you laid up in that heavenly storehouse. But I do know this. I don't know what all it is and I can't imagine it all, but I do know this. I got some treasures waiting on the other side for me. I got a little brother I haven't seen in 17 years and he's a treasure that I'm waiting for and I've got laid up for me on the other side. I've got a baby I have never seen. And But one of these days when I get there, I'm going to hear a voice I never heard called, Daddy, I'm over here. And that's a treasure that's waiting on the other side for me. And as good as those reunions are, 
and as sweet as they are to think about and as glorious as they're going to be, they don't compare to the treasures that I have in two nail-scarred feet and two nail-scarred hands that are waiting for me when we step into the other side and we say, I didn't care about anything else but you, Jesus. I wanted to get here for you and I lay at his feet and we're all going to fall at those feet and weep and kiss those beautiful nail-scarred feet. They're treasures waiting for us on the other side and greed will keep you from it and a lack of contentment will keep you from it and a, and a desire to, to live for yourself and not be godly. It'll keep you from all those wonderful treasures that God has waiting on the other side for you. Would you stand with me this morning? The math equation is so simple. It's easy addition. There's no algebra involved and there's no long division involved. It's just simple. Two plus two gets you four. But the world will tell us. The world will tell us that math doesn't work. They'll tell you, nope. The only way to get great wealth is greed and more and more and more. Live for yourself. Be selfish. Get, get ahead. Get even. You know, take advantage of whoever you have to to get there. Do whatever you need to. Compromise. It doesn't matter. But that more will never be enough. I want you to hear me. This isn't a money sermon. This is a heart sermon. I could care less about what you do with your money. God's going to take care of me no matter what you do with it. But I do care about your heart. I care about where you're going to spend eternity. I care about you finding true contentment where you're not living as a slave to more. I care about your marriage. Sometimes as a pastor, sometimes I think I care about people's marriage more than they care about it. But I care about your marriage, that, that you invest more in your marriage than you do in your job. I care more about your kids. I care that you invest in your kids more than you invest in getting more and getting more and getting more. And hear me again, provide for your kids. Don't, don't wait for somebody else to do it for you. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, if you trust God with what you need, he'll always provide more than enough so you can take care of your kids. But don't neglect your kids in the, for the sake of getting more. It'll never work. If you're here today, and you would say, I haven't gotten this formula exactly right yet. Some of you, maybe you're not even at the place where I'm even living a godly life. I, I haven't even surrendered my life to Jesus yet. So I, I don't even know how to be content until I get this godliness thing, you know, where it's a relationship with Jesus. Again, it's not a do's and don'ts. It's not perfection. It's a transformed heart before God. It's not an outward show. It's an internal change. I need to surrender my life to Jesus here in just a moment. I want you to step out in the altar and say, I, I want the great wealth. I don't want the world's riches. I want the great wealth that God has promised me. And so I got to get this godliness thing right. And then maybe there's somebody in the room that you would say, I have really been struggling with being content. This this idea of more has, has been, you know, uh, it, they're or even there just doesn't seem to be enough and it, it seems like I'm, I'm, I'm just struggling all the time in, in getting ahead or, or making things work in life and God just help me, help me to have that internal satisfaction 
no matter my external circumstances. I wanna pray for you this morning. 